0: I'm a compulsive and addict. <coughs> Whenever I share one of the me- these meetings, the first thing I always have to do is thank the, pe- the people in this rooms and this program for saving my life because that's my story. Um, I came in here um, coming up on nine years. October 6, 1999 was my first meeting. Uh, I weighed 470 pounds and I was dying. Uh, I have no doubt in my mind that if I hadn't walked into the room at that time, on that night uh that I wouldn't be here on this planet today, or I would be, but underneath the planet or some form, uh but I wouldn't be alive, and I certainly wouldn't have the life I have today so um when I talk about being an addict um i i that's what I am I'm a hardcore addict uh i was uh besides being uh, four hundred and seventy pounds, I was also a meth addict, and so uh I ate and did crystal meth all day long, all night long, um, and that's what I was. Uh, I couldn't stop either one. Uh, When I came into these rooms and people talked about the way they ate, they talked about grazing or binging or things like that, and none of that meant anything to me because the way I ate was the same way I did drugs. I I ate until the food was gone. I did drugs until the food was gone. You know, I always had a plan when I bought the food, but... The plan never lasted usually you know five or ten minutes by the time I got it in the car and was on the way home so um I came into the rooms i was forty six years old um, and uh spiritually emotionally uh and almost physically I was dead. Uh, I was completely isolated in my life uh, I started seeing a therapist and for periods of time I would call her up and say I was too depressed to go see her and when I could go and you know and during those periods the only time I saw anybody was like the Chinese food guy or the uh, pizza delivery guy. That was the only human contact I had. So at that point in my life I didn't really have any character defects. Uh, I didn't have a character. Um, <laughs> you know uh, I sat in my apartment. I ate. I did crank. I watched Leave it to Beaver. Uh, and whatever else was on TV and that was the extent of my life um, and to practice character defects um, outside of extreme self-hatred um, you really have to be engaged with other people and you have to be engaged with your life and I wasn't. So a lot of these things really didn't mean anything to me for a long time. So I came into way. Uh, miracles started happening right away. Um, you know uh, within uh, a couple of months, I was abstinent. I had a food plan, I started losing weight rapidly. Um, I came to believe in a power greater than myself. still not sure what it is. I have a sense of what it is, but not I can't define it. I don't believe in God, but I believe in something um, and uh maybe two two years and a half years in the program, uh, I'd lost all the weight. Uh, I was in pretty good shape and I was trying to go back to work and basically for a long time I hadn't worked because physically I wasn't capable of working. So um, what happened, uh, you know, I was talking to my sponsor about it and I'd gotten yet another application and I looked at the application and said, ah, I got great skills for that job. And it went on the stack of other applications that I had great skills for and was just like those. It was empty. I was unable to fill it out, and the stack was getting higher and higher and higher. And I still couldn't even apply for a job. And, you know, my sponsor says, well, what do you think you have to do? And, you know, my response was that I had to do, you know, the Nike thing. I just had to do it. And he got in my face and uh, started poking me in the chest, although he denies this at that at this point. Um, I still got a little bruise there, I think.
1: <laughs>
0: but um, what he says is you have to do your fourth step. And, uh, you know, this this is about step six and seven. But for me, it's really hard to separate step three, step four, step five, step six, step seven, I can't separate those uh, because um, without step three, without a faith that I was going to be okay, I never could have done my fourth step. You know, there's no way I had the courage to, to take and do my fourth step in an honest way. Um, and certainly without doing my fourth step, I could never look at my character defects and accept who I was and what I was and then going on to make the amends and then do. So for me, step six and seven is having the faith, doing the inventory, looking at those defects, and then trying to deal with those defects. And I can't, I'm I'm a mechanical person. That's kind of what I do for my life. And to me, I look at the steps and the way they fit together, and it's just kind of like this mechanical puzzle that just fits together so beautifully um, that uh they really work together and so to just take them in isolation, uh, I think you have to do them in order. I don't think you can do one and then twelve, and then it just doesn't work so um I did four and um you know, from the time I began and pro- I started a program, um, I kind of was wondering what I was and who I was because up to that point, I just never, all I wondered was where the next line was coming from and where the next bacon cheeseburger was coming from. That was pretty much the extent of my quest. So when I started looking at who I was, I'd been a lot of things. You know, I'd been uh, doing radical labor organizing. i have been a crazy anarchist. I'd been a deadhead. I've been a machinist. I've been, you know, a number of different things. And what I came to find out when I did my fourth step is I'm an addict. You know, that's who I am. That's what I am. That pretty much defines every part of me. Um, Because uh, since the age of 18 years old, that had been pretty much the constant theme in my life. I had done a lot of different things, but mostly what I had been was an addict. I lived my life like an addict. Uh, I lived my life based on fear and self-hatred and I use to try and deal with that fear and try and deal with that self-hatred. So that, those were the first things I had to look at um, and I, I think I am a fear-based addict. Fear is the constant in my life more than anything else. Um, I have a fear of uh, not being accepted by other people. So I volunteer to do too much. And then I have a fear of doing those things and so I procrastinate them. Um, and it gets in the kind of a vicious cycle. So I started working the steps, I did my fourth step with my sponsor, I did my fifth step. Um, and I was shocked at the person that came out in that fourth step. It's not the person I thought. All my life I've been looking at myself like this basically pretty good person, you know. Um, and uh, I think in the AA literature, it talks about that uh, we judge ourselves by our intentions, other people, and judge us by our actions. And I have been basing my life and my view of myself on my intentions. I never really kind of looked at my actions and the way I treated other people, the way I treated myself, the way I live my life, and what happens when you live a life like that. And that's what the fourth and fifth step forced me to do. It forced me to own my life. Uh, it allowed me to own my life. It allowed me to learn who I was and accept who I was. And for me, that was an addict. So uh, as they say, armed with that knowledge, um, I proceeded forth. And in the early times of this period, uh, recovery was, was easy um, because my life was easy. Mostly uh, you know, up to the point I did my fourth and fifth step, I, I really hadn't started working yet. And so uh, I went to nine or ten meetings a week. I did a lot of service. I followed a food plan that was really easy because to me in my mind it was do this or die. And uh, that seemed to be enough. And then I finally was able to go to work, uh, just kind of a temporary job. And uh, things were still pretty easy because I I was working in the middle of the night. Um, I could still go to, you know, six or seven meetings. I could still do a lot of service. And um, I was surrounded by program. Uh, And I still, although I had fellowship and I had a lot of meetings, um, the things that most people view as an adult life, I really hadn't started yet. Uh, I was still a child and I was pretty much back at the point I was when I was 11 or 12 or 13 years old. You know, I was just kind of looking at what meaning being an adult was. Um, then I started getting better jobs and finally ended up with a job that I love today, a job of my dreams. Um, last year I got married. In fact, I have a one-year anniversary a week from Monday. We bought a home. And all of a sudden, I was an adult or at least I was doing adult things Um, and trying to deal with those things in adult, uh, I didn't have any of those tools. I didn't have any of those skills. So this year has has been a pretty hard year and when Shirley asked me to speak on six and seven, um, it caused me to look at a lot of things because when when she did that, um, I had to talk to my sponsor. Uh, because, frankly, I was struggling at the time, and uh, I was struggling with the food. I was struggling with um, my life because it had gotten so big, um, everything was out of control. Uh, not like I ever had any control, but, I mean, it was seriously uh, unmanageable. So, <coughs> this speaking here is kind of uh, one of those things God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Um, I've been aware that there was a problem for a while and and what I do, um, I try and talk to my sponsor and I also have uh, in the East Bay, as you may have heard, we have uh, a very active fellowship and vocal and if you ask them for their opinion, they will give it to you, which is great because um, they will let you know what they think about something. If you ask them, uh, because they have a lot of experience and they're willing to give of themselves. Uh, And it's based on their experiences as addicts, and so I trust their opinion. Um, So I started looking at some of these things, and I think what happened was um, I started working my program around my life as opposed to working my life around my program or maybe I got that backwards. So what basically happened is instead of program becoming the center of my life, I got wrapped up in my life and program was something I did when I had the time. And for an addict of my ilk, that's not a good thing. Because there's a crazy person up here, you know, um, there's a crazy person that thought the ultimate thing in life was snorting three lines of crank and two bacon cheeseburgers. And that's not much to aspire to. So, what I had to do was look at what was happening. And what had happened was these these gifts in my life, uh, particularly around work, had become part of my spiritual sickness. And so, in... The literature, I think in the the big book and the AA literature and the OA literature, one of the things they talk about as part of our defects is kind of an unnatural extension of our positive traits, you know, that what happens is we get something that we enjoy, that we're good at, that is desirable, that human beings uh, are comfortable with or or maybe biologically uh, and mentally and physically move towards um, and we go a little bit too far, in my case way too far with it and spirituality became an afterthought in my life. Uh, Meetings were something I could do on weekends Um, and I lost my focus. I lost my way. So I don't think this is uncommon in our program. Um, I think I see a lot of people, you know, in my short time here uh, that have left the rooms around this period in their life where they work the program, uh, they work the program hard, their life gets better, and, you know, they're so hungry to live because for so long they haven't lived that they lose part of what got them there. And that's kind of the paradox for me at least, was that my character defects started coming up again um, in new ways. So is that, that's 10? Um, ah. Okay. So things got um, out of focus because I was living this life I had no experience living. Um, you know, I hadn't been in a relationship for 25 years before I got married. I hadn't had a job I was really passionate about in a long time. And all this life, uh, you know, when, you, when you've been alone and isolated for a long time, you want to grab onto these things and uh, just kind of ride them for all they're worth. And I forgot what got me there. So the life I got through program kind of pushed the program aside, or I pushed the program aside. And the things that led me to 470 pounds, I recognize again. Things like just incredible anger um, over stupid stuff. Uh, Ready, you know, losing something and blaming something else for it and right the whole time it was right in front of my face. Um, You know, judgment. Uh, I worked in something where people are very intense and passionate about what they do and I found myself. I got really tired of apologizing to people because I was in the position of judging them all the time and saying things about why they were doing things as opposed to saying, I disagree with you and I have a right to disagree with you, but I don't have a right to decide why you're doing something. You know, I don't know that, but I was doing that. And um, I got tired of apologizing to people for that. So I started looking at my character defects and, and the thing that I happened, it's not like I didn't know these things, you know. Um, when you go through the inventory process, you look at these things and you know they're there. Uh, as a, I knew I was an addict and I accepted those things. I looked at them at six. Uh, I asked for their removal in seven and while life was easy, it seemed like they went away. But, <coughs> You know, the question that came to my mind is, uh, can an addict have a big life? And um, I've had a sponsor that told me no. That, you know, in his opinion, he didn't think addicts could have big lives. That big lives made our program too small. And, um, you know, for part of that reason, uh, you know, and other things, uh, I, I, I have a hard time working with that person anymore. But I feel that a person can have a big life. But if you have a big life, you have to have a bigger program. Um, you can't have this big life, a sick mind and not expect to pretty soon have a sick pro, you know a sick life. And, and that's what was happening to me is uh, I started getting wrapped up in my life. And the term self-will, riot, run riot really, really started taking effect. You know, uh, my, my will was running my life as opposed to my program or my spirituality. So when I looked at six and seven and these character defects of, uh, of overworking, of people pleasing, of, uh, judgment, of anger, of trying to control other people, um, What I looked at is not the character defects I feel are always going to be with me. That's part of who I am. I have an ability to act or not act on them if one thing happens, and that's if I have spiritual fitness, okay? If I'm not spiritually fit, I have no more ability to stop acting out on those character defects than I do... And I did it than stopping the food. You know, uh, if I have not surrendered to that idea of spiritual fitness and embraced it, I can no more stop the judgment. I can no more stop the gossip. I can no more stop the controlling, the anger, the self-hatred than I could once I had taken the first bite. That's just who I am. And when I did my fourth step, I owned that. Um, when I started chasing this life, and tried to grab onto his tail. Um, I forgot that. So, <clears throat> for me, one of the things that means is uh, part part of my higher power is the people in these rooms. So, if I'm going to be spiritually fit, I have to be in these rooms, and I have to be in these rooms a lot. Okay, that's who I am. Uh, I have to hear other addicts talking. I have to talk to other addicts. I have to speak my truth. I have to hear what they're saying. I have to read the literature in the meetings. I have to go to step meetings and other literature meetings. All those things I have to do to get that spiritual barrier between being an addict, unable to take a moment between the action and you know, the thought and the action. If I'm spiritually fit, and and this is what I've been doing, is uh, I've been going to a meeting every day for the past month or so. Okay? And what I notice is now I get angered, and before something comes out of my mouth, I have a minute. And I have time to stop and decide whether I want to voice that anger or if I want to just kind of let that anger pass. Now, sometimes I decide to voice it because I still am an addict and there is pleasure in expressing anger. And other times I'm able to say, no, I'm not going there. But to me, if I'm not going to meetings and if I'm not talking to my sponsor and if I'm not absent, and if my food isn't clean, I don't have a chance of stopping those things. So, For me, the whole idea of trying to work six and seven by themselves, and I don't think anybody has ever suggested that, but I have to look again at, you know, the spiritual fitness. You know, am I going to meetings? Am I reading literature? Am I doing service? Am I talking to people in program? Am I talking to people in program about, honestly, about where I'm at? You know, if those things are happening, then when these character defects come up, I have a choice of whether to act on them or not. I have a moment in between the action and the thought. Um, For me, it's like I I firmly believe that the steps are written in such a way that it kind of starts with the third step prayer and the second part of that is the seventh step prayer. The words I see in there, relieve me of the bondage of self. To me, that's the fourth step. Take away my character defects, you know, so that I may help others. That's like the sixth and seventh step. And it's all right there in the third step prayer. So, um, when I try and live my life as an adult, um, I need to be there. I need to be at that point of faith, at that point of spiritual fitness, to get past those character defects so I can enjoy my life. You know, um, I believe I have gifts to share with people. Um, The problem is when you get into these positions of intense passion as an addict, are you going there from a point of service or are you going there from a point of ego? And as an addict, when you're in those positions, it's a very thin line. You know, so um, one of the things I'm doing um, and... Uh, I don't know how sane it is, but uh, I'm approaching people at my work about trying to form a spiritual community to deal um, with the issues at work in a spiritual way. You know, how do we talk about these things? How do you talk about race and not get angry or upset or accuse people? Um, how do you talk about real sharing of power? Um, I have 60 seconds to wrap up. So this is one of the ways um, I'm trying to work, bring these steps into into my work. Um, how do you commit to work without blocking out the rest of your life? Um, those are the kind of things that in my life that I need to look at. Uh, I remember when I first started dating my wife. Uh, in fact, I didn't even know we were dating at that point. I had to ask her. <laughs> but um, About the third or fourth date, she, at at the end of the date, she reached over and she gave me a kiss on the cheek. And I ran home, Um, that's what it felt like, I I felt like I was flying home. And early the next morning I called my sponsor and I said, I feel like I'm 16 years old again. And his response was, you're not that old.
1: And that's where I
0: feel a lot of times. So I have gifts to give. I have service to do. But I have a program to work to be able to do that. Um, Again, I'd like to thank everybody for being here, uh, for, for being here to show me how to live. You know, I came here to lose weight. And what I found is a way to live. And I'm so grateful to you guys for that.
2: second speaker is Evelyn.
3: My name is Evelyn, and I'm from the San Fernando Valley. And Lewis just stole my thunder, okay? <laughs> um, I am, uh, have always been, until I came into over anonymous, I was always fat and obese. I was never pleasingly plump. I was just under a 14-pound baby. When I was 11 years old, I was 100 pounds overweight. Uh, I walked into these doors when I was 42 years old. All right? I consider myself one of the, the lucky ones in that for for some of us who have always been obese and some of us who are not into self-care, I'm, I'm a kind of a woman that combs her hair once a day whether she needs it or not. You know, I mean, I bathe, I brush my teeth, and then... The, it, it, Putting on eyeliner is like the longest 25 minutes of my life. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, agony for me. But so if you're not into that, then sometimes by the time you get into your 40s or whatever, losing 100 pounds, by the time I came into program, I was so beat down that losing 100 pounds was like number eight on my hip parade. Okay? What I came in for, I wanted to be happy, which caused a lot of problems at that time. Because you're, people would come up and say, oh, sponsor you. What do you want? And I'd go, I want to be happy. And they'd go, well, I can't do that for you. How would you like to lose 100 pounds? No. I don't care. And I can remember turning to somebody after five five months in program and and uh, and, and saying to a, a woman in this program who's like an icon in this program, and I happened to be sitting next to her, and saying, I'm looking at her and I said, I don't care if I ever lose 100 pounds. I just want to be happy. And I want to be able to sleep through the night. And I want to stop the 72 voices that are, are talking in my head. And, and I want to be comfortable with other people. And she looked me dead in the eyes and said, you're never going to make it in this program. Never. Why are you wasting my time? And I thought to myself, you, I never liked you. <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely don't want what you have. But... <laughs> But I, from that conversation, I got, I did get abstinent out of pure spite. I was going to show her and her friends, all of them, you know. And and I thought about that. I mean, and I got abstinent out of pure spite. And I made an agreement with myself that I would get a sponsor. I would do the program exactly the way that it was. And I would, I would get abstinent. And I'd do that for a year. And then if I didn't like it, I'd walk out the door. Right? And that worked for me. My character defects, um, uh, these are the things that motivate me. Spite, fear, frustration, anger, and being tired. You get me too tired, too angry, too frustrated, and I will pick up Disneyland and move it overnight one inch. <laughs> you know, that's the, that's, that's the kind of personality I am. So, I was really lucky in early on in program, is the people who took an interest in me, or you know, the people who were not successful in this program? Because I'd already been told I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna make it. Because I, you know, I, I didn't want what everybody else wanted. In 1987, everybody wanted to lose 100 pounds. I did not want to be Evelyn anymore. I wanted to be somebody else. It had been pointed out to me that that my life was a mess. I was 42 years old. I had a 10th grade education. I was working two full time jobs and a part time job. I had a 16-year-old daughter who had been on the streets for 3 years. We had no relationship. We have no living relatives. And the per- a person had taken me aside and said if you don't do something to help yourself, you're going to have you are going to have a horrible next 42 years. And I knew at the at the end of that that I would be in a car accident and I wouldn't die. I would be paralyzed from the neck down for another 20 years. Because that's what I knew that God had in store for me. So I came in as being, I wanted the promises. I wanted to feel comfortable with people. I wanted to figure out what the hell was going on. I walked through life and and everybody's speaking Spanish and I'm speaking Egyptian. You know, I, I never know what's going on. I'm 21 years in program and I don't know what's going on half the time. That's the way I am. And that's okay. I found out that that's okay here. So. I kind of started after, once I, I didn't really understand what a character defect was, was until I stopped eating. When you eat that much food, and, and I mean, and, I, and to tell you the truth, I'm not really into alcohol because it makes me hungry. I never was really into drugs because it made me hungry. You know, it was just so much easier to eat, and I like to eat. I like to graze all day long, and then I like to have three really substantial meals, and I like to eat before I go to bed. And until you stop eating, you don't realize how the food keeps people distanced from you and how you react to yourself. I did not know, and, and I came into programming, oh, you know, you know, we're all fear-based. What the hell does that mean? I was never afraid. I used to walk home, I used to work in a bar late at night and, and I didn't own a car and I would walk three miles with two or three thousand dollars in my pocket. Never thought a word of it. You know, I lived in low-income housing and my neighbors were afraid of me and they were the ones with guns. <laughs> you know I wasn't afraid I did not know what fear was till I stopped eating I didn't I'm like seven six seven months in program I'm sitting talking to this guy and he says boy you seem very upset and I said you know I said it just seems to me like it's a sign of weakness that I should lock my car doors when I'm driving around in the middle of the night and he's looking at me and he says how do you feel about that and I said I'm afraid to drive around in the middle of the night now without my, and I want to lock my car doors. He says, lock the fucking car doors. <laughs> you know, but that I didn't, until I stopped eating, I, until I stopped eating, I didn't know how paranoid I was. You know, that I didn't know that when people say good morning to you, that's all it means. <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean, what does she mean by that? Am I going to lose my job? What does she know that I don't know? You know, what does that mean? I didn't, I didn't know. And I stopped eating and I found out That I was mean-spirited and bitter. I didn't know that. That I have a heart that's two sizes too small. Um, That I'm loud and obnoxious, judgmental, um, arrogant. Um, Just you name it, you know. And it was pointed out to me. And I wrote it down, and I thought, if I want to be happy, this is how I divide my program. I want the promises, so I'm going to work on these character defects. And I worked on them till so my stubbornness became persistent, till my loud and obnoxious became clear statements, clear and calm statements. And I have to agree with Lewis when he was talking about our defects are just extensions, overextensions of our character, of our good character, and they're just like, are out of control like little snakes, like the hydra. And I learned to suck them back in. And the power of words, people would say to me, in 1987, they said, what would a kind and loving person would do? Well, how would I know that? (laughs) had more people walk across the room and say Evelyn just when you get in this situation what would a kind if I knew I I didn't want to be kind and loving because that was a sign of weakness. I lived in low income housing. I was my child's sole support and that was a sign of weakness. You know then somebody came in I was sitting talking to some crazy guy and he's complaining about his therapist and and his therapist said to him the next time you get in that situation what would the man you want to be Do? You know and he goes, "Don't you think that's stupid?" And I'm thinking, "No, that's what I could do." So I started visualizing and Evelyn, and I wasn't sure who she was going to be or what she, what she was gonna do, a woman in front of me, and i and I actually now have this whole vision in my brain of this thing that goes like this, like a like a pathway up over these rolling hills, and there's all of these Evelyn's, and through the power of this program, I have stepped into each one and become a person that was more accessible and maybe a little calmer and I learned that here and the best and I learned that practice doesn't make perfect it makes better and the best way to build a new a, a better character is to practice it and when you forget and you will and you remember you start again and you do that and you try to stay committed to that and things do get better and if and one of the things that I used the most at the time was once I started to have to make amends to people, oh, geez, you know, oh, my gosh. So then I started to try to live my life in a way where I didn't have to make amends, you know. And with me, it started with the food. When I'm into the food or eating different kinds of food combinations that make me mean-spirited, loud, obnoxious, jealous, envious, you know, I get a dollar raise and you get a 75 cent raise. And I'm going, shouldn't deserve 75 cents. What's up with that? I'm doing half of her workload. And, this, and, to, and to learn when I'm I'm right with my food, the serenity that comes out of that. Because food poisons me and poisons my thinking and my judgment. And you know what? And my reactions to what you're doing. You're saying hello and I'm thinking, what does she mean by that? You know, and to live like that and to and to learn to live and to get that space like Lewis talked about, you know, where you just have that one beat where you can choose to react or choose to be calm or choose to say, Just a minute, I'll be right back. I have to go to the bathroom and go make a phone call or go and pull yourself together so you're not slapping somebody or calling them an idiot. You know? And I learned that here. And I learned that by practicing better character. When I first came into program in my first two years, lady walked across from me. This is exactly who I was and I'll tell you how who I am now. Walk, walked across from me, hadn't seen her for a bit, and she stood next to me and I said, Hi, I'm so glad to see you. This Now this is new behavior because I was trained in this program. You speak to the newcomer. I don't like to talk to people. I prefer to be by myself. Service teaches us the skills that we need to connect with each other here and just that simple thing of walking over and saying to someone hello my name is Evelyn how are you today and by God they'll tell you you know and you can be quiet you know and but those kinds of things and she said oh I've had just the hardest time I said what happened she said my husband died and I said to her I said is the house in your name do you know where all your bank accounts are do you you know do you you know, did your husband have a mistress? You know, are there anybody floating around out there? You know, I'm... I And I remember somebody telling me, that is horrible, you know, and it never dawned on me to say, I'm so very sorry. And then as the years have come by, I find out that I function well in a crisis. It's actually a character asset. And I'm practical that way. It's just built hardwired into me. And But what I've learned from the grace of this program is... A couple years ago, lady walks over. I said, gee, I haven't seen you in a while. She said, oh, I've had the worst time. My husband died. And I turned to her and I said, I'm so very sorry. How can I help you? Do you know where all the bank accounts are? Is the house in your house? <laughs> but I'm gentler about it. You know, because I can, I can help you in a crisis. I can't help you pick out nail polish because I don't understand that but you know in case of a nuclear attack you want to be standing right next to me you know day to day stuff drives me crazy you know and but through the using my character defe- defects to my best advantage sometimes the only reason that I am abstinent is because I don't want to walk into my home meeting that I've been attending for 20 years and tell those witches that I broke my abstinence. (laughs) And sometimes that's the best I can do. But things get easier and the practice of it. And when you stop and you make a mistake and you talk it over, there are people in this room who have thousands of hours worth of therapy they can help you there are people here there are people here i i learned a great deal when i was working with handicapped children on try to work around a character defect with their behavior or something to make them more approachable and i started to apply that to myself you know life is hard but here we have access to a lot of things and your character defects can are are sometimes just an overdrive, and, the, and there's, there's, a, sometimes you can be too practical. You know, where you you forget the, the easier way of, of letting somebody help, letting you help them. And so you can learn that here. I focus on the promises. I want those promises to come true for me because I'm uncomfortable with people. When I first came into this room, I couldn't stand to be touched. I couldn't stand for you to stand close to me. The light was too bright, you know. But by coming in these rooms, I felt more comfortable with people. And the promises, the book tells you that. If you do this, 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 and this, you're going to get these promises. You're going to be free from the worry of economic insecurity, you know, because fear is just, is is just going with, learning to go with flow. Now, I'm uncomfortable, I have to tell you, because I, I have trust issues with God. You know, I, I mean, I have a lot of trust issues. I have trust issues with almost everything. You know, because I am an orphan so i'm i'm uncomfortable with with a with a god or a higher power that is a parent i no, nobody has ever modeled parenting behavior for me, so i wasn't a good parent and i'm uncomfortable with that i'm uncomfortable with an employer God is an employer because uh, uh, i've been taken advantage of particularly when I had a tenth grade education by every employer that I had because i I'm a good employee, and I, I, I like to go to work because it's so much easier. You know what the rules are, you know, and people have taken advantage of that. I believe in getting a God or a higher power that works for you, you know. Mine happens to be a, a, a partner in the growing concern of Evelyn Incorporated, mm-hmm. okay. He, for many years in the program, he was a silent partner. I had one general meeting, and if he didn't speak up real quick, he missed his <laughs> opportunity, okay. And, but you know what, I did it anyway, they, and, I, and somebody walked across the room, because you know, I used to struggle with this, you know, turn it over to God. Yeah, like I'm going to do that, like he's doing such a great job with me already, you know. And somebody said to me, you know what, when you're turning something over, or whether it's to God or something, you're taking a contrary action. And I recommend that, you know, and you practice those contrary actions. When you don't want to be abstinent, be abstinent anyway, and build a habit of action. If, you know, learn a habit of graciousness and of, of, of not being stubborn and being persistent and practicing those behaviors will come true for you as a whole package. Uh, I had a week, I was, Shirley was out teasing me. She says, oh, you, you think you can th- you know, talk about your character defects? And I'm thinking, I had a week where everybody and his brother walked across the crowded room and told me what my character defects were, you know, and I thought I was doing pretty good. And I started to write them down, you know. I get in the car, and I'm going, okay, I have a five-hour drive. I'm going to come here. People are going to love me. I'm going to be good. I pull into the gas station, and it's completely empty. I park at the pump. The guy says to me, why did you park there? I go, is it broken? I'll move my car. He goes, well, no, you should have taken another pump, but I'm going, I can't even pick a gas station, right? (laughs) Okay. I stop at the Carl's Jr. on the way up to get a drink, you know. The girl says to me, don't you have the correct change? And I'm going, oh, need correct change. It, 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 It has been one of those weeks, you know, and I have felt, but I've been comfortable with it because, actually, most of the things they were complaining about were their own failures, you know, and they needed somebody to blame. I no longer feel the need. Most of the time, if my food is great and, and I'm into practicing a contrary action, I can react in a better way that causes me not to go and apologize to that idiot the next day. I still am very resentful when I have to do that, and I don't want to live with that anymore. So I live my life. In a, in a habit of practice, so that when I lay down at night, there's nobody talking to me. You should have done this, you should have done that, you know, and I recommend that to you. This program has a great deal to offer you. It has meant the world to me. I've gone back to school. I, I learned, oh, I forgot to tell you about the time the guys in OA wrote down 25 reasons why no one would date Evelyn, and every single one of them, it was supposed to be funny, but everything, every single one of them was true. And I put it on my refrigerator because I was just losing my weight, and I started working on all of those things. And I've had those people, same people, come back and said to me, if they would have thought I would turn out so well, they would have dated me themselves. (laughs) And that 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 was like one of my biggest thrills. But I learned to date, and I've been successfully married. I've healed the relationship with my child. I'm a good employee as opposed to uber employee. And I'm so grateful to this program. The promises can come true, and they come through true for you if you just practice. That's all. Every day is a new day, and every day, and but things do get easier, and you become. I had somebody say to me a couple of weeks ago, "You've become so gracious." I went in the bathroom. Gracious, yes. <laughs>
1: you know.
3: Now I want. You know, that's cool. You know, there was surely I remember this. Remember I was four years in program and, and my goal was to become the kind of woman who gave great, who got invited to great parties. That was, that, that was an interesting behavior mod for me, you know. And then I became the woman who gave great parties, you know. And I thought I was anti-meme, you know. But you can, the, the things that you, that you, your character defects will change in this program if you just show up. Show up to the meetings talk to each other, read the literature, look at your food. That's my thing. As soon as I start to act weird or I'm I'm walking around talking about how come she got a raise and I'm doing half of her work, I know I have to look at my food first, you know, because I still am arrogant and judgmental, but it it recedes. It recedes. Thank you so much. Um, I don't have that much more to say. I'm going to leave you with this story that, that I got several years into program, that is a mantra with me, okay? Uh, and this guy was talking about relationships and it was like, and it was a tape and it was like the stupidest tape you ever heard. But at the end of the thing, he says this, he goes, he goes, you know, life is, is, is hard. He said, and he says, and life is a series of challenges every day. And he said, and if you look at your life, you have those challenges. And he said, and they're pretty much the same. And he said, And you want to strive for a better a better set of challenges. You want to strive for a better set of problems because it's just as easy to worry about paying the mortgage on a five bedroom home on on Mulholland Drive as it is to pay the the rent on a one bedroom apartment in San Fernando. That's where I was living in San Fernando. You know, he says strive for a better set of problems because you're going to have problems and challenges. You know, you get a better car, it it costs more to repair it. You know, I went to work, got a better job, and now I work with people. I work with ladies who read Cosmo every day. And they're into, eye, you know, eye surgery and everything, and they have all kinds of suggestions for me. <laughs> I am their work in progress. And, and, and But as the year, the year and a half has gone by with those women, they have come to value me as I have come to see some value in them. <laughs> And and I and I have to admit that. But I've learned to be more comfortable with people. And you can learn that here. But for me it starts with the food, it starts with the service and it starts with with people coming and talking to you about how they have, have improved something in their life. You know. If you're jealous, go talk to somebody who's just been talking about it and figured out a way out. Thank you so very much and I urge you to strive for a better set of problems. Thank you.
2: My name Don. I'm a compulsive overheater. How have you been able to embrace discipline, restrictions without feeling deprived?
0: Um, I'm not sure exactly what is meant by this pro, uh, question. Um, A lot of times when, as addicts, when we talk about deprivation, we talk about the food and and for me, it's very simple. Um, You know, I have a choice. I can be deprived of a cookie or I can be deprived of my home. I can be deprived of a pizza or I can be deprived of my wife. You know, for for me as an addict, that's my choice. Um, And I think that that's the way I look at most of these things. As choices in my life. I can choose to act as an addict, or I can choose to act as a person that has, uh, that is in, incapable of making a choice, and that's basically giving into my addiction and just going in into a whole hog. Or I can make the choice uh, to work on a problem. And I think, for me at least, that's, I, I have to look at those choices. When I first came into this program, my choice was, do I want to live or do I want to die? And I decided I wanted to live. Now my choice is how do I want to live? So I think it's a a matter of uh, framing it in choice. You know, what are you depriving yourself of and what are you going to get if you don't have that?
3: When you, and I'm assuming we're talking about food here, when you start to change your food, it's going to hurt. And I'm, uh, my hair hurt on the ends of my arms, you know, I mean, the ends of my hair hurt, my teeth itch, I mean, it was agony. Days went by slower, and the, and the minutes between meals went by slower and that's why we encourage you to keep yourself busy. You know, clean your house, do your writing, make your three telephone calls here until the feeling goes away. It will go away and yes you will feel deprived but you will start to, the quality of your life will start to improve and, and, and then it's a choice. I have gained so much by not eating the pizza now that I'm unwilling to give up the quality of my life now i'm I'm totally unwilling so i'm twenty one years in program, but I can remember you start to get your stride two or three years into program you know and and you're gonna start winning more than you start losing and you're gonna you know you're gonna, it's the chocolate is not gonna matter that much you know and you're gonna you're gonna have some clarity and start to make a decision and if you make if you make a mistake, you clean it up, you know that's all you have to do. You can stop if you make a mistake and and the deprivation overwhelms you. Then start again. Just start, you know. And, and sooner or later, even if you end up, if you start, if you start going like this, you're still going forward, all right? As well, go forward, and 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 it will get easier. I can promise you that. I can promise you that. But boy, it sure doesn't feel like it when you start. Okay.
2: What do you do now in recovery to overcome those feelings of fear today?
0: Um, I have to pray about them, uh, and I have to talk to other people. I have to, I have to take those fears out of my head where they have unbelievable power, and put them out on the table and talk to another person about them that somebody that understands what that fear is about doesn't do any good for me to talk to a fear about fear to a person that looks at me like I'm totally crazy because they've never been in that kind of fear, but talking to another addict that understands that fear and has dealt with that fear, um, talking about it in meetings, um, writing about it i'm I'm terrible at writing, but uh, All those things help. Getting it out of my head where it has unbelievable power, out on in some form where I can look at it for what it is.
2: I am pretty miserable and fear-based, but it's the me I know. I am so afraid in a way that if my character defects are taken away, but I will not know who I am anymore, and that scares me. Any ideas how to get past that fear so I can be free?
3: I I actually I can respond to that. It is it is scary when you you don't know what to do with your 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 defects because you don't know what you if you're going to have anything, and it feels uncomfortable. And I was told. To start to give service, even if you could, if you could just sit by the door and start and greet the person coming in, and and try to get out of yourself, because the fear of the fear, I I found out that it was more the fear of losing 115 pounds that I wouldn't be able to hold up the world that I had, and and I was afraid to make any changes because I didn't know what I was going to do about that and and my the first suggestion to me was to do service even if it was just taking out the trash sitting by the door if you couldn't stand and welcome people making three phone calls a day and just just start to get out of yourself little by little and it gets scary when things start to go better it's scary i want to tell you you're used to you know you're you're used to, to the world beating you down and when things start it feels like they go right because you're not as paranoid you know it's scary it's scary, and you have to practice it. You have to practice being ha- happy, and and it'll come, it'll come. But I, my first suggestion from from the person who mentored me was was service, because I remember thinking, what is who, what's going to be left, what's going to be left, and then what do I do, or what, am I supposed to stick something in there, you know? And and uh, service was very helpful to me.
0: Um, For me, I think uh, I heard one of my sponsors talking about this once, and he talked about doing uh, esteemable acts or acts that improve your self-esteem. You know, do the opposite of that character defect or do it in a way that's positive. Um, You know, the positive part of that aspect. Uh, You know, uh, I I find that when I'm trying to get my self-esteem out of winning at solitaire, that that's an indicator that I'm in trouble. Um, You know, that I need to go work in the garden or clean up something in the house or, uh, you know, take my wife out to dinner or, you know, something good that that makes people feel good as opposed to something that is a waste of my time and just making me feel bad about myself.
2: How do you live with the character defect? as your higher power is removing them, but they have not been removed yet. Uh,
0: Make a lot of amends. (laughs) (laughs) Say I'm sorry a lot. Um, Try and talk to them. Talk about them in the meetings. Um, Try and pray about them. And, uh, you know, try and work on that point So that gap between action, thought and action, gets a little wider. So there's a little more time to think about, is this what I really want to do? As opposed to when there's no spiritual fitness there, that spiritual muscle is weak, and it's just an instantaneous snap decision, and I have no choice.
2: My glaring character defect right now is fear. What is the action to take? To turn fear into an asset. Is there an asset to fear?
3: I was told and this and I have to tell you 21 years later I have trouble with this concept that the opposite of fear is faith you know if you have trust problems this is tough for you you know it's really tough you know or, or even if, you ju- if your self-esteem is so low that you think oh how can I have faith that this is going to happen? You know, but you know what? I have, I have come to believe that I have come to believe, and and believe that something good will happen to you. Call somebody, talk to them about your fear. You know, talk and just keep talking about it. People will will offer you concrete suggestions, based on how they handled that particular kind of fear, and and reach out for that because I I think you know. It, we're, all of us are afraid, you know, and it does get better. It does get better. But in a hot New York minute, if you have a new situation you have never dealt with before, you know, like we were talking about earlier, whether you buy a house or something like that, that fear just rises right up in you, you know, and you need to talk about it. You need to write about it. Make those calls. Reach out to us. Turn to the person next to you before you leave and just say, boy, you know, this, I'm really afraid today and this is what I'm afraid about. And sometimes you don't know why you're afraid. Stop eating. You don't know why you're afraid. You just know you're afraid. And 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 try to put a, a name on it and a face on it and make it less. Make it less.
0: Um, I think that we're all afraid. I mean, I think you're an idiot if you're not afraid. Uh, um, the problem is being frozen by that fear or being able to act through that fear. And for me... Um, the thing I say over and over again when I'm in that point is the third step prayer. Release me from the bondage of self over and over and over again. Um, and I talk to people about the fear. What are the consequences? You know, when I first came in, before I came in a program, I would, I would become terrified by things. And then rather than I would get so sick of being afraid that I would do the opposite thing and do it to the point of just insanity. And that was no better. So I was acting, but I was acting out of the fear. What we learn to do as addicts, I think, is walk through our fears. And we can't do that alone.
2: What does it mean, and what do you do, when you surrender, let go, and ask higher power to remove a defect. It goes away, and then out of nowhere, it comes back.
3: This is, this is where you start to practice, okay? It, 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 it doesn't really go away. It just comes up in a different form because you have a new set of, a new set of problems. You know, it doesn't look the same. And, and then you just, you just have to take a deep breath, turn it over, take a contrary action, practice the kind of behavior that is the opposite of, you know, and take that like, and the space, you want to try to build a little space so you have a chance to figure out exactly what's going on. So you have a chance to say the serenity prayer, which if you say the serenity prayer, you think it through, it's the 12 steps. You know what is going on here? What is my part? What is somebody else's part? What can I do about it? And and you just need to build that little space between between the reaction to whatever is coming, and and it will come. And when it's when you notice that it's not coming anymore, it's because you forgot. And you, and my friend Ira, you, she, he always pitches that you have to remember to remember. You know you have to remember. Everything we learn in program, we will forget in a, in a, in a hot New York minute. You know, just, it just goes right out of your, your head. You know, and, and you go, oh, I forgot about that. And, then, and you pick it up again. And the, re- the, the way to help you to remember is to, is to gather with us, you know, in these meetings, with the literature, and look to your food. And it will help you to remember all the little, the little things we have that are compensating actions for the person that we used to be.
2: I am at Step 6. In Step 6, how much writing and reflection would you do on what each character defect is doing for us and to us? Did each of you do a lot of serious writing the first time through Step 6?
0: Um, I did my step six basically in in my step four Uh, when I went through uh, my resentments and fears and uh, people I had harmed. We looked at all those things and my uh, sponsor so kindly pointed out all my defects in those actions, you know, where the defect was. Uh, And then um, sponsors after that, I worked six and seven through doing a series of ten steps. So um, I don't... I don't think you can work step six by itself. It's, it's walking through life every day. You know, you're an addict, you're a person, you're going to make mistakes, you're a human being. That's what it means is we're going to make mistakes, we're going to live. And like the, the, the process of going through the constant inventory and examination on a daily basis, that's to me what six and seven is about.
2: How do you ask higher power to remove character defects? What happens and is changed? How do you ask higher power to remove defects?
3: Okay, I, I kind of, I, I had a lesser concept of God then when I first went through this and my experience with him has changed as the years have gone by. But um I said the prayers, and I also, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in uh, the third step, is it the third step prayer? I'm so confused now, uh, of, of, you know, take all of me, relieve me of the bondage of self. I, I, I don't know who I'm saying that to, but I said it anyway, and I was instructed to say it anyway, and I say it every day. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I can, I can be of service to people. Take away, you know, my difficulties so victory over them, you know, will, will show what is the higher power? Is it the program or somebody else? But, and I, I've learned to say that every day and I've come to believe and come to know that things change with that. And it, it was, it was very difficult when people start talking to me about, oh, just turn it over to God. I, it's like, that's like another language to me. You know, I'm. I, I, what? And like this person who talked to me said, turning it over to a higher power of God, to the program, whatever, is taking a contrary action. You know, and and that that is the best that I can do. That's and after 21 years, it's still the best that I can do.
0: Um, for me, you know. What I have to go on on this question is like specific examples in my life. Like when I first came into program, um, my relatives, um, I thought they were small-minded, stupid people with small lives. And what has happened? God has made them better and better people over the years.
1: <laughs>
0: so, I, you know, I've changed obviously, um, and how that happened, I don't know. Um, it's just like I don't know how I went from eating a horse one night to eating three meals a day the next night, the next day. You know, it, it, um, it's showing up somehow and having that willingness.
2: We got through uh, all the ask-it-basket questions. It is now time to close this session. Let's thank our speakers. Yeah. and all who have done service for this session. Please stand to join hands as we close uh, this session with a serenity prayer.